From Nickelodeon Animation in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Hector Navarro, and we have such a good episode for you today. No matter where you go or who you talk to, everyone has a favorite cartoon theme song. I would definitely say the Rugrats theme song, even though there's no words. (laughs) The SpongeBob SquarePants. I just love the line, drop on a deck and flop like a fish. The old Fairly Odd Pants theme song. The song that you could hear three rooms away and you'd know exactly what's playing on TV. Like I hear it in the next room, like, oh, that's my jam, or that's, you know, that's my, that's my show. The song that you know every note and every word of, even if you haven't heard it for years. The lyrics that I remember is different of you guys. Oh, really? I'm from South Korea. The song that brings you right back to being a kid on the floor of your childhood living room, filled with excitement for what's going to happen next. It's like, okay, time to grab my goldfish crackers, Mm -hmm. you know, get set up, and then you're on the journey. The theme song is the gateway to our favorite characters and stories, and they stay with us throughout our lives. So much goes into these songs, and we wanted to know the stories behind them. This week on the podcast, we talked to some of the people behind our favorite Nick theme songs and asked them, why are theme songs so important? In about 37 seconds, about 30, 37 seconds. If it has a lyric or not, I think it has to give you a vibe of what you're about to watch. There's like a call to action, you know? It's like, come on in or get up and come over. I like songs that do tell a little story, but also set a tone for the show that will bring you into the show. And it should relate in some ways to the way that the show is scored and nothing like that. So it all feels of a piece, obviously. You kind of want to hear it in the other room. And sometimes when we sit and listen to a mix and make something sound totally perfect for our, for our you know, like ears, we'll go, now put the mix through the little TV speaker and I'll literally kind of stand in the doorway sometimes because I like to, a theme song's a perfect example because it's the first thing up. You can kind of have this opportunity to set up the whole world and what the parameters of the show is and how it, the dynamics of how it plays. I think it needs to become some insidious thorn or seed in your brain that doesn't go away. The thought of working on stuff that just haunts people <laughs> in that same way where they just can't, Uh, They can't get it out of their heads. A show's theme song sets the stage for what kind of show the audience is about to watch. The truly amazing thing is, it doesn't even have to have words to tell you everything you need to know. The theme song for the seminal Nickelodeon series, Doug, is the perfect example. See, I barely just mentioned it and you're already humming it to yourselves. Series creator Jim Jenkins told us a little bit about the inspiration behind the iconic theme song. I love that that uh, there's, there's a handful of theme songs that you can kind of mess with people my own age. And that's yeah. one of them is you can start, you can go, do 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 and they will have to finish it. They go, do 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 What are you doing to me, man? Come on. And you can you can kind of mess with people like that, which is great. So where did the direction and idea for the Doug theme song come from? Nickelodeon had three of us go on the road to promote Nickelodeon. Wow. There's another show parallel to this at the very beginning called Livewire. Livewire's host was Fred Newman. 
So Fred Newman and I met each other on the road. Just we'd be showing up at a gig in Cincinnati or Tulsa or wherever we were. But every now and again, our paths would cross because we were two groups promoting uh, Nickelodeon when we weren't doing our own shows, Pinwheel mm-hmm. and Livewire. And so uh, Fred and I became friends and have been for a zillion years now. But Fred is the master of mouth sounds and uh, a very brilliantly funny man, very musical guy. And so when Doug was going to happen, uh, I cast Fred as Pork Chop the Dog and Mr. Dink and many other characters and uh, and the mouth sounds, especially for Skeeter. And um, that was Fred. Hey, Doug. <laughs> oh, Skeeter, maybe you can help me. I have this friend. It's not me, though, and he knows his best friend did something that could get another different person in trouble. And uh, Excuse me, Doug, but is this a math problem? Because I'm terrible in math. Fred was working on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club uh, with Disney, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's where he met Dan Sawyer, was on that show. So he said, I've got a guy, I need him. He's the music guy. He can, he can make my ideas come to life, and we make a great partnership. So uh, Fred Newman and Dan Sawyer became the team. And so from there, it's just meeting with them and talking about uh, the sensibility of, of the show. And there were things like um, the Andy Griffith show. I love that yeah. show. I just think it's another one of those shows. It's still airing. It's yeah. still out there. Classic and, American and, show. Right. And it has great, solid characters and stories mm-hmm. and, and the uh, content behind it. But think about the opening to that show, that whistle. Absolutely. And so I thought... That we 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 referenced that and thought we need something that distinctive, but not slick, not synthy, not any. It's got to be really simple and direct. And that's when Fred got that dude. All that was Fred. song of a show comes well after a show's already been in production. In many cases, it's one of the last things that's created before the show premieres. But sometimes the exact opposite is true, like in the case of the classic theme song for Cat Dog. I've been playing the guitar since I was probably like 12 years old or maybe 10 years old. I have gotten better, but not that much better. This is Peter Hannon, creator of Cat Dog. In terms of the inception of Cat Dog, it turned out to be a, a way in in a certain way. Like I was actually, I got hired by Nickelodeon um, before Cat Dog to make three short films, and I uh, by this small department called the Creative Lab, which was in uh, New York City. And Amy Friedman was the person that ran that, um, and she chose this thing called Cat Dog, which um, was going to turn out to be three one-minute uh, little movies. And then while I was kind of writing the uh, writing scripts for those, the song started going through my head. Right, so I I just started uh, singing the Cat Dog song in my head, and then ended up making a demo of it, with just me playing the guitar. It went kind of viral inside of Nickelodeon. Um, and so then I got a call back from the president of Nickelodeon, who had actually walked into Amy's office, and he heard the song, and then he ended up calling me, and I picked up the phone. The first thing he did, the very first thing, was that he started singing my song to me. Like, he sang, sang the cat dog song to me, which was really funny. And he said, uh, I have bad news. We're not going to make those three short films. I have good news. We want to make a pilot. Cat dog, cat dog, cat dog. 
Alone in the world is a little cat dog. The very first version I did of the song was really a little more mournful. I had this kind of like, had a little bit more of like a, a real country feel that was a little more downbeat. Like Alone in the World, the little cat dog was a little bit more mournful in the way I said it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alone in the world is a little cat dog. Then we realized when we were like recording it for the series that we were like, you know, I think we want this to be a little more upbeat. <laughs> so we don't want the kids to be crying before the, before the show starts. One fine day with a wolf and a purr, a baby was born and it caused a little stir. No blue bugger, no three-eyed frog, just a feline, canine, little cat dog. Cat dog. Cat dog. Cat dog. Cat dog. Alone in the world is a little cat dog. So sometimes theme songs come out of the blue as if sent from above. But like any creative endeavor, they don't always come out perfect the first time. Some of the most iconic theme songs ever might not be the original intent at all. If you grew up in the 90s, the theme song for Hey Arnold is probably in your DNA. I bet you've already got the melody in your head right now. But when it came time to come up with the theme song for that show, the version that we all know and love wasn't the first idea. We talked to Craig Bartlett, creator of Hey Arnold, and the series composer Jim Lang, and they told us about their first crack at the Hey Arnold theme. We talked a lot about um, the kind of Rat Pack era (laughs) swing stuff, and Craig had, you know, from kind of from day one, he was always going, Arnold, you crazy nut. (laughs) You know, know, something like that. And so so we thought, wow, that's a great idea for the theme song. Hey Arnold. (laughs) That seems really... That seems really thematic. So we went into the pitch, and, yeah. and it was Catherine Seitz, Catherine and, Seitz and, and Mary, Mary Harrington. Harrington, and we're in a conference room in the she old Nickelodeon building box. over on Vyland. No, we didn't have a, we didn't have anything. We Did were we just, just like a, we were just completely free sticking. You crazy <laughs> nut! Yeah. I really love the way your head is shaped like that. Hey Arnold, push button whiz. Won't you please tell me what your last name is? Swing it. We're finger popping and singing that. And we're about, we're in like bar six, and the two executives are already moaning. Going, They're making it like that. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, we were like, should we finish? <laughs> so, so that first effort was a no-go. The first effort was a no-go. So I went home. I thought, oh, this is not good. This is not a good way to start. <laughs> This relationship. And I had this little thing that I had written years ago. That little shape, that little melodic shape. Uh, I, I was working at a studio in Boston, and one of the guys at the studio was this guy, Don Rosenberg, whose dad was Dunkin' Donuts. He, he started Dunkin' Donuts. And I thought, I'm going to write a Dunkin' Donuts ad. <laughs> you know? So I, I wrote this little thing. It was like, I got the feeling for a donkey today. A Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got home and this... You turned that around like in a day. The little New Jack swing, ring-a-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding. That little, what we call the ring-a-ding, you know, I put that up and then I played this thing against it. I thought, that's pretty catchy, you know. And so it wasn't exactly the same thing. I had to sort of customize it and then put the little samples and stuff in. But it it was pretty much a slam dunk. It was a slam dunk. They heard it and loved it and we were done. Hey, Arnold! 
A thing I always remember about Hey Arnold is that you could tell if it was a newer episode just by listening to the theme song. That's because in between seasons two and three, a new version of the song was recorded. So why the change? Jim, had you been mentioned you were a little unhappy with how the first one, some of the parts you didn't like as much as, as you could have, and you thought, yeah, I'd like another crack at it, right? I mean, wasn't that what we decided? Yeah, I had great guys, but a really great uh, tenor player named Buzzy Jones played on it. But I, I kind of didn't have parts for him. I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do. And so it was very, very kind of ad hoc. And so I always, uh, in, in the back of my head, I thought, gee, it'd be really fun to do a big band, a legit, you know, big band version of the main title. And of course, we were always tipping the cap to big band stuff in the show. Uh, so that's what we set out to do, and, and we uh, um, we wrote a big band chart. Uh, we hired a big band, went over to, the, to Village, and cut the whole track. And the original idea was, it's not going to. There won't be any electronics. It's just going to be straight up big band. And I got the I got the tracks home to the studio, and I put it up, and it didn't have anything like the kind of kinetic impact that that the original theme song had you know just the the all the electronics how punchy the bottom end was all the stuff that totally. really made makes that there's a, theme there's song. a bass there they're going yep <laughs> exactly and it's completely electronic yes totally so i thought well what a drag you know i i don't want to i don't want to just throw this out so what we ended up doing was I kept the beginning of the main title pretty much electronic, uh, so you really had, the, you were kind of in the comfort zone, it starts out with a little ring-a-ding and all that stuff, and then in the back half, all that stuff is the full big band. You can tell by now that creating a series theme song is an extremely important part of the development process. No two theme songs are alike, and the process of making each theme song can be strikingly different. Dora the Explorer and Go Diego Go creator Valerie Walsh told us a bit about how different the experience was between the two shows. For Diego, we had these two guys who pretty much just hit it out of the park <laughs> on their own. Um, Joel and George, we call them the Miami guys. Uh, just they had that Latin sound. They were writing music for pop stars. And cool. we just so lucked out that they wanted to do a theme song for us. And it was amazing. Dora, on the other hand, was a bit more of a struggle. And Chris is... A musician. Um, he was in rock bands and stuff. And so he had a very specific feel for music. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of different people auditioning to do the theme song. We had um, this great, great composer who had done the backpack song and the map song and was trying to work on a theme song, but then would get other voices in and some people who had worked in um, kids' TV, specifically like the the Sesame Street world, were trying to pitch it. And what happened was it sort of became 
a little bit of a patchwork, mm. the song. Like, you know, a lyricist would do two lines that we liked and then we'd <laughs> get somebody else and they'd do, they'd, ha- you know, use those two lines, but then they would put in their own lines. So it was a bit of a patchwork. But one thing about um, Chris and myself is that we always seem to have the same sensibility. <laughs> so when we know a song works, we're both like, yes, that is it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had one of the most recognizable theme songs of all time. So when executive producer Ciro Nielli was tasked with bringing the turtles to a new generation, you know he had to update the theme as well. Well, the main title from the 80s show is great because I think it does a good job of setting up the world and and also, you know, making it kind of catchy. I mean, I think over the years, the idea that Raphael's a rude dude and Donnie does machines coming from that song is a is a is a big thing that was hard to get away from so yeah the, the new song in that sense was almost lyrically a remix of the old one like how do we update it slightly but you know we had a lot to work with there and i think it was it was a good way to kind of go hey we're doing something new but here's kind of a wink and a nod and some and it, and it's somewhat uh respectful to the past it's referential but it's also reverent you know I always liked that song, so I had no problem doing that. When I started making this show, it actually disappeared for quite some time. So I I was kind of going into this project assuming that children knew nothing about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So the whole idea of, you know, explaining what these abstractions were you know, uh, turtles that knew martial arts, but that were human size and understood pop culture and could speak English because they're mutated by this mutagen. I mean, it's a whole lot to just kind of assume that a child is just going to kind of be able to jump right in. I kind of really leaned on the main title, almost telling a story within that song to kind of set it all up so that when the show would start, it would just kind of hit the ground running. And, and, you know, the visuals play a big part of it, too, because you don't want to say every single thing and then actually draw every single thing that you're saying. You want to kind of checkerboard it so that it feels a little bit more like a waltz. And uh, so that's kind of what we did. Here we go with the lean green ninja team. On the scene, cool teens doing ninja things. So extreme out the sewer like laser beams. Get right with the shell shock pizza kings. Can't stop these radical dudes. The secret of the ooze made the chosen few. Emerge from the shadows to make their move. The good guys win and the bad guys lose. You know, it's easy to look back on all of these famous cartoon show theme songs and talk about what made them so great. But what if it was your job to come up with a quintessential cartoon theme song that may go down in cartoon history? Pinky Malinky creators Ricky Aspiorn and Chris Garbutt were faced with that very dilemma. I, I can remember, I either heard this or read this about like John Williams when he was composing stuff like uh, Jaws or uh, Star Wars or, or whatever. Whenever he was coming up with things like that, he'd always have the title of the film in mind. Mm-hmm. So that so even though there's no singing to Star Wars or whatever, there's beats in there where you can imagine someone singing Star Wars to the thing. Wow. 
So similar kind of thing. But obviously, we want to say Pinky, Pinky Malinky in the show. So try and come up with some kind of tune that works around his name, some kind of rhythm that works around his name. So that was kind of the initial start of the process. And then just wrote out lyrics, just trying to sum him up and the show, talk about him, the show, and try and get some of the humor of the show across in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then from that, with some help from some people on the team, like Josh Engel, I think, did the scratch for this. But we kind of laid down a very rough uh, scratch version of it. Cool. And then we passed it on to our composer, Dave Newby, who then did his musical pass on that. And I always wanted something that sounded very fresh and... Catchy. Yeah, yeah. fresh, modern, catchy, uplifting, like positive... Yeah. Uh, trying to kind of keep going up with the music, not feeling too down. And, yeah, again, just instrumentation, one is something that sounded unusual and very current. And I, I remember throwing a lot of, like, Gorillaz stuff at him because I, I know, like, with Damon Albarn and the Gorillaz, they use a lot of, like, really interesting instrumentation. It does have that cool, poppy, yeah. modern sound. So we kind of use a bit of that as, as inspiration as well as a, a few other things. And he did his pass, which was fantastic. And we just kind of went from there, really. Yeah, I mean, it comes across full of joy and processed meat. It's right in there. <laughs> <laughs> Cartoon theme songs are positive and upbeat and happy because they reflect the tone and sensibilities of the show that you're about to watch. But what if the tone of your show is decidedly not that? Enter Invader Zim. We sat down with series creator Jonan Vasquez to get the story behind the theme from Invader Zim. One of the most important tones of the show is that the theme song itself isn't necessarily funny. It's funny in the context of what it's for. Like all the Zim music. Like the the overall directive for Kevin, Kevin Manthe, uh, who did the score, not the theme music. He reorchestrated the theme music from a friend of mine, uh, Mark Tortorisi, who was the original composer of the, the actual theme music. But the idea was that this music doesn't know it's for a, a cartoon. It doesn't know it's for a, like a, a kid's show. This music thinks it's for some huge, incredibly important, incredibly serious, scary science fiction action show. It's playing for what these characters think they're doing. Zim and Dib think Everything is the end of the world. And and kind of in a way it is, but everyone around them doesn't see it as that. But they think everything they're doing is the greatest, most important thing. So the music reflects that. It happened pretty quickly. I mean, the only thing that I said to Mark at the time, we I was living in Burbank and he was spend he came up and spent the weekend at my place. And all I wanted was military, like to reflect 
Zim, Zim's everything in Zim's head is military. His walk in his mind, he's hearing a march. Everything is a march. And I wanted the the military drums mixed with sort of just the electronics, like electronic orchestral was just everything to me at that time. I wanted it to be futuristic, but grounded in sort of earth military. And I had this, God, what was it? It was an Alesis. I want to say it was like a QS8 or so. It was like it had it was like some letters and then a number. So I had this keyboard there and he used that to, he just used the like built-in sequencer on it to come up with that theme music very quickly. But they didn't really go through many changes. He basically just pooped it out and I was like, oh my God, this is, it just stuck in my head. We redid it when it went to series and it, and we just stuck with it from that point on. So there you have it, our episode on theme songs. So many great cartoon theme songs and so many great stories behind each and every one of them. And we want to thank all of the creators who came on today's show and talked about their theme songs. And we want to hear from you, the audience. Visit us online at nickanimationpodcast.com or hit us up on social media and tell us what your favorite Nick theme song is. You're not going to want to miss an episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast, so please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez-Eberhardt, Tony Gutierrez, Jamie Goss, and Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Jonathan Highlander and Josh Caldwell. Our social media team is Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armiger, and David Watson. And our man behind the faders with the gorgeous flowing locks, our engineer, Manny Grujalva. Until next time, keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.